Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of many lore aficionados from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful, amazing co-host, Matt Rossi, with me today. How are you doing today, Rossi? Uh, making up stuff about emotions and cobbler, so yeah, let's 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 go before I, I lose all sense of control. The dark fire rages in my heart, Joe. I gotta release it, so let's do a podcast. <laughs> all right. Well, today we're gonna be going through some questions from you, our listeners. So thank you very much for sending those in. We're gonna be starting with the first one, which is question for the Lore Watch podcast from Valathrea Volpara. Uh, is a mage on Bleeding Hollow. If I pronounce your name wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, what are the impl- implications of Lillian Voss reaching out to Kelly Amenathiel and having her meet up with her in her own home, her old homeland, to take the Night Elf Sentinels to help them with them being undead? Voss seemed ready to take a bigger role, and it's obvious some of the Forsaken looked to her already. Is this a ploy to have eyes on a potential rival or something else? Thanks. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the matter. So, what do you think? Uh, you guys read the Three Musketeers. I know uh, I if have. You haven't, you know, if you haven't, I'll give you a real, real super brief synopsis. Uh, during during the reign of young Louis, the king of France was a child, and the actual power behind the throne was the uh, Roman Catholic cardinal, Cardinal Richelieu. Uh, Richelieu didn't want to be king. It was too much trouble. He wanted to be the guy who told the king what to do. He wanted to be the power behind the throne. Mm-hmm. That's what I think we're looking at with Lillian Voss. I think she wants to be someone that the the queen would listen to, someone who would be respected and whose advice would be sought. Essentially, she's trying to make herself into Matthias Shaw. Yes. She's trying to create yeah. for the Forsaken an actual – somebody who wouldn't just – do whatever the queen wants, tell the queen whatever she wants to hear. That's what they had with Nathanos. The thing about Nathanos Blakecaller is for all that he was cantankerous and and treated everybody with like disdain, he had no actual spine. There was no nothing he wouldn't do for Sylvanas. There's no loyalty he doesn't hold for her. There's nothing he's more loyal to, to than Sylvanas because he loves her. And because he feels that love, and that's the only thing he feels really anymore, there's nothing that would ever stop him. He has no there's nothing there's no way he'd ever say to the queen, that's a bad idea. No matter what it is she wants, he's going to help her do it. That's not what Voss wants to be. Voss wants to be somebody like Shaw, who, if the King of Stormwind was like, We're gonna start st- sticking orphans in a in a meat grinder, he'd be like, Um my king? That's an incredibly bad idea and, and evil. It's also an evil idea, just in case that matters. You know, that's that's what I see with Voss. She wants to be a power behind the throne, not the queen. See, and I don't know if I, I don't know if it would be the power behind the throne, but I think it's for me, well, it's an more, advisor. Yeah. So, I, you know, some, somebody who's got the ear, it, somebody who can make suggestions, somebody who can do, you know, that kind of role. Well, in, in the way that I put it too, and I've, I was talking about this with some of my guildmates is. Lillian Voss has sort of gone through this whole big emotional roller coaster from the first time we met her when she had been turned to, you know, an undead uh, vigilante to now she's gone through this whole wide range of events and emotions and, and everything else. She's a very complicated character in that regard. And we saw throughout Battle for Azeroth, especially from the Horde side, that Lillian Voss still, she hasn't denied her emotions like. Nathanos has. She still feels that she'll do what she has to do. 
but she can still feel bad. She still wants to help the Forsaken. Like with the, what was it? The Z- I think it was Zelik was the name of the mage that got converted. Uh, like that whole oh, thing. Tide speaker. Tide speaker. Yeah. Like the way that yeah. whole thing played out, she cared. She felt really bad for him. She hated what happened to him. She was trying to spare him that pain from, you know, seeing his family and being rejected. And she tried as much as she could to ease him into his new life. And she was doing things like making promises that she was going to take care of his family and make sure that they were all set. And she did like magically money showed up in their house for them to go and live and be secure. And that was from Lillian because she, you know, was a master rogue and can sneak anywhere. And then you come to this where you have Kalia Menethil, who is still somebody who's not, she's not forsaken, right? She's not Solana. She is, if anything else, the exact polar opposite of Solanus. She has emotions. She understands, you know, where she is, her, her, feelings on things she's capable of that but more importantly she's from a royal line she understands what it's like to lead people even if she hasn't done it yet herself so i think to lillian voss this is the perfect person to to have in that position so that lillian can go take care of the dirty work because she's good at it and that's what she wants to do to help make her people secure but she doesn't have to worry about having another sylvanas in place and if at any point in time Kalia did become a tyrant or questionable or whatever the case may be, she's confident she could take her out. So it's... Yeah, I think to a certain degree that, yeah, you're you're totally right, and I also think there's another thing to think about. Um, Kalia is the face. Mm-hmm. And Lillian isn't. Lillian is not actually good at convincing people to do things. No. Like, Even when we first met her, like she maybe was one, in... Maybe, yeah, maybe when one-on-one. Yeah, but even when we first met her, you see that too. Like she's she's hiding who she is, she's pretending to be something else so that we will do what we need, what she needs us to do. Yeah, and I think in this particular instance, it's an example of Kalia's got the name, mm-hmm. and it's the right name. She's got the reputation, and she's got you know that quality that people are going to even people who don't like the Menethil family are going to know who Kalia Menethil is. Lillian Voss is nobody. Yep. I mean, a few adventurers know who she is. Uh, some, you know, Kalia knew who she was because she knew who her father was before he went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. This is a situation where it makes more sense for somebody other than Lillian to be the face. And Lillian can do what she does best behind this. I, again, I think there's a really strong parallel to Matthias Shaw here. I, I agree. I absolutely agree. I think I think she is poised to be the the Shaw of for Kalia Menethil. The other thing to keep in mind, though, too, uh, and this is something that I brought up the other day, is that Kalia has something that a lot of the the Horde leaders don't have at this point. She hasn't participated in any of the wars. She hasn't been at the forefront of any atrocities. She has almost a clean slate. So if anything needed to happen for peace talks or even just these ceasefires, she's more likely to be able to secure that with the Alliance than pretty much any other Horde leader at this point. Because Kalia can walk up to, you know, Anduin and Jaina and nobody would bat an eye. It 
it gives her a little bit more leeway to sort of be a political figure than I think anybody else they could have chosen. And no, again, that, like, that, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and especially with the way that we see things are going, with the way the story is supposed to be winding down, and uh, as far as like the war, at least for now, it also makes perfect sense there because the Forsaken is broken, the Forsaken is lost. We don't know what's going to happen with the replication of the Forsaken as a species because the Valkyr were tied to Sylvanas at this point. Kalia is the best bet to make sure things stay stable enough to figure out those next steps. And I believe Voss knows that. I believe Voss knows that 100%. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I think we're basically in agreement on that. I definitely don't see... I mean, also, the thing about bringing in the Night Elves, because you mentioned that, I'm going to talk about that for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Part of, the, part of that is Voss just being Voss. She, she wants to... She has this kind of almost inveterate need to like solve problems. Like it's almost like the only thing she knows how to do at this point. Yep. Well, she's got a little bit of like a hero complex thing going on almost. I don't even know if I'd call it that, but it's like when you give Lily Voss sees a chaotic situation, she wants to make it an orderly situation. Uh, you see that with like what she does in like Missa Pandaria when she's attacking the Scarlet Crusade. They're, they're a bad element. She wants them taken care of. When you yep. see her go to Sholomans, it's very much, nope, this guy's got to go. The, the, the Sholomans has to be taken out. Uh, gambling needs to be stopped. These are There's no real reason for her to be doing that for pragmatically. But, I mean, some of it was vengeance. She very much wanted vengeance on gambling. But at the same time, it's like these things are situations that need to be dealt with. They're, they're potential problems, and they need to be solved. She, I think she looks at the uh, Sentinels, and she first off sees a possible problem. Mm-hmm. Secondly, she understands exactly what they're going through. I mean, she woke up into undeath. She didn't want it. She was like, "What? What happened? What? Why am I like this?" She actually rejected it. She's proof that not all forsaken are mind control because she, the first thing she did when she got up was start killing people. Yup. Like, nope, get off me. I don't want any of this. So. <clears throat> She knows what it's like to be like from a, from a way of life that's completely antithetical to this, because she was like her father went into the Scarlet Crusade. She was working for the Crusade, and then she became a Forsaken. It's so she knows what they're going through, and it's by bringing them in. It, it's number one. It, it's it kind of establishes her bona fides to Kalia a little bit. Like, look, I want to help. Mm-hmm. I want to help as many as possible. Here I am trying to help someone. Uh, it also, let's face it. A lot of the Dark Rangers were loyal to Sylvanas. Yeah. But these guys, they're they're Dark Rangers who are way experienced. They have like centuries, if not millennia, of experience. And they've they've not loyal to Sylvanas, you know? They're not personally loyal to the to the Banshee Queen. They don't want to go back because they don't feel any they don't feel that Laloon cares about them, but they're not gonna just run you know if Sylvana showed up tomorrow and was like you know hey help me they're not gonna help her they don't have any personal loyalty to her they probably have a great bit of a great deal of animosity towards her so it's a savvy move and it also it's I think it's something that she's personally she's doing it for multiple reasons but one of the reasons is actually something akin to I don't want to say charity that's not the right word but like Compassion. Compassion, I think, is accurate. Yeah. Weird, cold, dead compassion, but it's still compassion. Well, and I think you hit on something that I think is is also important to consider as well. Um, 
for anybody who hasn't done any of the Horde side campaign stuff in the last couple patches, one of the things you do is you go to spy on Kalia and Jaina and them. You like you you are seeing what happened. And particularly like Lillian Voss is there, I'm relatively confident that the entire purpose of her being there is to see what happens with Derek. And I think after seeing that, that's why she brings the night elves with her to specifically to Kalia. Because there's one thing that Kelia can do that Sylvanas never could, and that, looking at Derek, is bring peace internally. Derek's made peace with what he is, what happened to him, and where his current lot is. And that's something that Sylvanas never really took the time or care to do. Like She was like, I understand your suffering, I will lead you, just do exactly as I say. And Kelia is more, more, I don't want to say priestly, but it's more she's trying to bring ease to those souls. And so by taking these folks, the, the, the Nine of Sentinels in particular, and, and maybe some of the newer Dark Rangers that are dealing with this sense of incredible loss, like you said that they're, they're feeling this, like a loon abandoned them. That's a huge thing. That is not a small thing to consider. That's something that they've, they've devoted their entire lives to that they feel is no longer there. And now even an undeath, it's like, well, I can't, you know, feel the grace of a loon anymore. What am I going to do with myself? And that creates, like you said, a dangerous situation that makes them unpredictable. But if you can have Kalia bring them peace and bring them to like a center point, they're no longer a threat. They're something that maybe could be useful to the prospering of the Forsaken. And it helps eliminate a threat, something Voss is very mindful of. It's just a different way of doing it. It's not burying daggers in it, it's taking that darkness and pulling it out of them as much as they can by using the only tool she's seen that's been effective with that so far, which is Kalia. So there's a lot of things going on here, and I do think that Voss is poised to take a bigger role within the Forsaken. Uh, and I like going back to what Rossi said earlier, I do believe wholeheartedly that she's angling to be the 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 Shaw for Kalia Menethil, and it makes perfect sense. We'll find out soon enough, though, because as Shadowlands comes closer, I'm confident that Lillian Voss will be more present, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Our next question, where do our adventuring WoW characters go from here? We have leveled from simple adventurer to nearly demigod without the god heritage. Uh, we have traveled through space and time to far off planets. We have defeated the Burning Legion, Sargeras, and Nazoth. In Shadowlands, we will face the afterlife. Where can we go from here? What do you think? Where, where, where are our possible trajectories? Well, I think the problem there is people keep making assumptions based on stuff that they know that is not obvious to their characters. And one of them is this. Your character has no idea that they're powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they know because they've done things, but they don't know. They don't look up and see a, like a little thing over their head saying level 120. Uh, you, you know, am I more powerful than the war chief of the horde? I don't know the answer to that question. This is not the kind of thing you can just know. It's like real life. In real life, we don't know, you know, until we do something, if we could do it. And keep in mind, too, that stuff like getting to make 27 attempts on a boss, that's a game mechanic thing. That's mm -hmm. not in, like, your character, canonically, when your character kills that boss, that's the only time you fought them. So. Yeah, I, I, 
it, it's an interesting concept. It's similar to what we talk about in D&D with meta knowledge, where you can have a knowledge of what's going on outside of the game as a player character, but what does your character actually know? What is what is the vision of your character? What knowledge does your character have? Yeah. And like that's, my character, that's here. You know, yeah, your character knows that they've done stuff. They know that they've joined together with others to accomplish things. Like, But you don't you don't sit around thinking to yourself, well, except for the fact that I'm not actually descended from a god. I'm basically a god. Um, and in terms of where we go next, I, it's one of those things people always talk about. It's like, you know, now I'm just killing low-level, you know, low-level things in a zone again. You kind of have to remember that that's not necessarily – your character wouldn't necessarily think that that's beneath them. Because you're doing it for various reasons, not just to make yourself stronger. When you're playing a game, you're leveling your character. You're doing it for XP. But your character isn't doing it for XP. Yeah, they're doing it from obligation or because they're part of an army or yeah. whatever. You showed up in an area, reason. they needed help, and you're helping them. And yeah, it's humble, but you're a good person or the, you know a heroic person, so you do the things they need done. It's... It's not a question of, you know, yeah, okay, it's another dumb poop quest. I gotcha. Well, I usually avoid the poop quests. I'll be completely honest. Sure. Yeah. They're not they're not worth my time. But, the, you know, if you do it, your character did it because they thought it needed doing, not because, well, it'll give me 20k XP and I'm I'm pretty close to level, so that's not a concept that they have. Um when you went to, to Draenor, you didn't think you were any more or less powerful than you thought you were at level 30. And the same, in, in a weird sort of way, the coming system actually works better with this idea mm -hmm. because you can go anywhere. You can go straight from like Elwyn Forest to like Draenor, or you know, you can go straight from from Razor Hill to like you know a Northrend, and it it makes more sense with the the in game idea of you're just going to these places. You don't have, like there's no. In a way, I hope they get rid of stuff like like levels on food because that's like a real construct of the game. That doesn't. Yeah. There's no such thing as a pie that's just too high level for you to eat. You don't bite that pie and miss. You know, it's like I've, I got this pie, but I just can't eat it until I'm level 35. Um, that kind of thing does not actually exist. You, there's no massively awesome pie that ha you have to be level 60 to eat. You know, it's just. If someone puts a pie in front of a peasant, they can eat it same as you. There's no pie that's just too good for you. I'm, I'm sorry, man. It's just you got to be level 45 to eat this pie. No, that does not happen. And and that's what I think we're talking about here is that same basic idea. These are game mechanics. They're not actually happening in the game world. Yeah, and, and a lot of the time I justify it to, like, thinking about it where – there's a bunch of Spider-Man comics where Spider-Man, despite having fought in galactic wars and, you know, defeated all these supervillains and saved the universe, he still stops muggers. He still will stop purse snatchers or, you know. He still gets brained by a mugger every so often. Every so even often, though the yeah. dude, Even though he's got, like, you know, the ability to sense danger and all this other stuff, he can, someone can occasionally get lucky on him. And that's you. You're, you've done all this stuff. You've got all this magic gear. And yet you can still get taken down by like a, a by a random mob if it's just it's day. And that's yeah. kind of a sense that you have to keep in mind, I think. I think that's Joe's really onto something here with this. Yeah. And then as far as where we go from here after having accomplished everything, uh, like to, let's walk away from like the power scale thing. It, it's a question of where do we see the characters going from here? And 
it's going to sound like a cheesy answer, but the question is anywhere or the answer is anywhere. And there's a couple of reasons that I say that we have an entire cosmology that we've barely, barely scraped the surface of. We've met the Titans briefly. We are going to be going to another plane of existence. We don't know where else that plane of existence touches. We have an entire universe that that is out there with all of these different realms and a whole bunch of stuff that we don't fully understand. Now, it's entirely possible that, you know, we might wind up going to search for a loon at some point. We don't know where a loon is or what a loon's doing. That could be an entire focus. I've brought up Koresh at some point. We still have to deal with the void. Like, we're dealing with old gods. Old gods are an, an affectation of the void flung into the material world, but the void's still out there. That's another thing that we have to deal with. We have any of the, the things that Sargeras has done in his crusade over all of this time that we still don't understand everything that he's destroyed. Don't forget the Legion has like swallowed and converted planets throughout the universe. Mm -hmm. And we've barely scraped the surface of that too. Remember in Legion, we went to four different worlds Yeah, and, and fought the Legion on those worlds. And we barely saw those worlds. We, we were there for like five, you know, just, just enough of an area to do some fighting in. We have no idea what the rest of those planets look like. And that's not even, we don't even know what Azeroth looks like beyond a certain point. Yeah, because you, you could end up going to another plot of Azeroth where all this chaos keeps happening and they have no idea what's going on. Why did demons attack? <laughs> Why is death not working properly? What's going on? Like they, they, they could be living their own lives and weird stuff keeps happening and they don't know what's going on. See, and that's something I hope happens. We talked about this a little bit last week when, with, when Crow was here. There's, yeah, we understand that the continents that we know exist were once one big land mass, but years and years and years ago and throughout the course of Warcraft's history, we've always been told that the land masses we've seen are not the entirety of the planet of Azeroth. I honestly, when, when we talk about what's going to happen in the future, I want an exploration expansion. I want something that sees us going throughout Azeroth, finding new lands that have distinct cultures or or are used as in like different ways to uh, bring in more expansive uh, sort of, I don't want to say mythology, but like give us variants. And the reason I say that, and this is uh, something that I'm really partial to, the other day I was talking about how much I missed the Dark Sun uh, campaign for D&D. It's something that I was always in love with, and the reason I loved it is because it was different, because it was something that was exploring. And D&D does this with all these different settings that can sometimes inter interact and, and sort of like meet in different areas and can be treated like different areas of the worlds that, yeah, you can have a player that's used to playing Forgotten Realms, throw them into something completely different like Dark Sun, and then they have to explore all over again or whether you create your own world. Blizzard has the ability to do this, and it's something I want to see them do, where we saw it with Pandaria. Pandaria was a whole new land with a whole different set of cultures and everything else. With Battle for Azeroth, when we on the islands of Zandalar and Kul'tiris, whole different cultures, a bunch of different I explorations. I would love to see them expand upon that. Maybe we come across a civilization that's like the Mechanomes, but not weird and replacing all of their bodies with technology but are really super technologically advanced and don't understand magic maybe we have different species or creatures that we've never even considered but are still titan forge that are out there in the world there's so much that they could do there and create unique stories for us 
through that just on Azeroth alone without touching anything else in the greater universe, there are so many things, so many possibilities that, I mean, they could keep this going for as long as they want. So Yeah, you're reminding me of back when they decided that the Oriental, Oriental Adventures book was the continent of Karatur was on the other side of Faerun. Yep. And then, you know, if you were playing, you know, Forgotten Realms, that all that stuff was just on the other side of the planet. Yep. And that's that's one of the things I've always liked about it. Um, I didn't actually like Faerun very much, but I liked the character, so I was pretty down for that. Yeah, I, I totally think, we're, you know, we both feel kind of the same way about Azeroth. And I, I that doesn't just apply to Azeroth, by the way. Um, I know that right now, if you did the Maghar storyline, that it looks like Draenor, alternate Draenor got blown up. Um, but one of the things they did on that world, and then they didn't do anything further with it, was there was an entire co- continent just south of the stuff we knew about on Draenor. It was yep. just on the edge of the map. You could just see it. It was like south of Grand. You could like sail from Grand to it pretty close. And there was like all sorts of theories that that's where the, the Ogre Empire had come from or where it had gone. Like it, the, the, the Ogres had possibly gone south to And I always wanted to see more about it. I wanted to see Farallon. What was Farallon like? You know, I just there's a ton of stuff I want them to. I wanted them to do. They could totally still go back and do it. Um, I don't think they will for for Draenor. I'm just be upfront. I don't think that that's coming. But there's just you could you could so easily expand on stuff we've already seen, or they could just totally make up something new. And I think that's like, the beauty of it, right? Like, and that that's what would excite me too is seeing something completely new, because. I think WoW has been locked into its own, and, and I'm saying this as somebody who loves the lore of the world, they've been locked into their own cycle for so long that it'd be nice to see them break out and create something wholly new that doesn't necessarily rely on the Burning Legion or Sargeras or the Titans. You know, how long has it been since we've had sort of that experience of wonder in-game? Like, I remember playing classic WoW for the very, very first time, and being absolutely enthralled with it because these were things I kind of knew about from the RTS, from, from Warcraft back in the day, but it was that sense of everything was new. Everything was, was exploration, and they did. They created brand new stories, brand new characters inside of this framework. Well, they still have they've that done framework. That, they've done that a lot of times, too, because if absolutely. you look back, Warcraft 3 is out again, Reforged is out. And what a lot of people don't really know, they don't seem to understand, is Reforged, Warcraft 3, was totally all new stuff. Like the whole thing about Night Elves, there'd never been Night Elves in Warcraft before that game came out. Nope, they were introduced in the Warcraft had existed since 1994 at that point, and six years in, nobody had ever even heard of Night Elves. You know, but they were introduced in this game. That's the first time we ever saw them. Um, and they were retconned to be like, this is where what elves originally looked like before, you know, they moved away and got magic addicted. And then the high elves are actually like a, it was a flip of like established D&D things from years back about night, about elves and dark elves and all that. It was really great. Um, and they could still do that. They could do that at any time. I know people would kind of revolt if they suddenly, oh, but these elves are actually the older elves. They'd lose it at this point. But there's, they could still establish an entirely new place. And, like, we have these dwarves who live here. These these dwarves don't like to mine at all. They're actually, like, into sailing. And they live on the they live in, like, these huge floating city ships. They could totally do that. It's like this whole new thing you've never heard of. That would just be so interesting to me. And they could absolutely do it. 
And Blizzard, if you're out there listening, I mean, me, me and Matt, we, we're more than happy to pitch some ideas to you. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> now, <sighs> now uh, the, the, this week sort of answered some of the other questions that were also from this person. So, Chris, uh, I hope those answered your questions. Um, I know there's one other thing that I want to touch on from your, your questions here that we didn't get to quite yet, which is uh, you, you say that you missed leveling higher than your surroundings and sort of that feeling of power and that you're not looking forward to what's going to be coming as far as like everything leveling with you. Uh, you can still go back after you hit max level through the, the, the leveling experience and still be more powerful than your surroundings to a certain degree. But I kind of understand a little bit where sometimes it was nice to go back and, and I'm reminded of the void reaver or fell reaver, excuse me. And that, that dang horn, hearing that horn and running away from it, and then going back uh, once you hit max level and just destroying it out of spite. I want to tell you a story. Okay. The story of a little guy called the son of a Rugal. <laughs> there I was. Uh, level like 20, maybe 22 Torin. First time off of Kalimdor. Exploring the, the undead lands because I'm told there are allies and I want to see what's going on. I go to a place called Silverpine, which is I'm told is is Horde. I didn't realize it was actually Gilnan. Um, and I'm going through and doing quests and so forth, and I'm running down the map and thinking, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I get to a place called Shadowfang Heap, and I'm like, oh, never been there. What's going on? Pyrewood Village. I should, I should head into that general direction. Then I hear a noise, and I look up, and a level 25-something elite just comes running out of the woods to rip my face off and camps me. He sits on my body, and for the next 25 minutes, it's literally me run back to my body, get up, run as far as I can before the elite comes loping back out of the woods to kill me again and again and again until I finally got my body far enough away from where he first saw me that he stopped immediately aggroing as soon as I got up and I could leave. Uh, I, I was not happy with him. So I got on my Alliance character, who was level 60 and on the same server, uh, which you, which wasn't easy back then. Uh, no, you couldn't it do not. it all on you couldn't do it on PvP servers. Correct. On um, PvE servers, you could do it, but it was not easy to do. But I was doing it because you know, whatever. And I flew over there. I didn't fly because you couldn't like actually fly. Metaphorically flew. Yeah, I, I went from I, I basically got on a Griffin, went to Terra Mill, then rode over, and I remember even seeing. As I got there, there was some horde people getting murdered by it. Like they were just running away, trying to stay alive, trying to freeze it in place, trying not to die. And I come running out of nowhere and butcher it right in front of them. And they're like, "What? Why did that human do that?" And then I camped the area, and they thought I was going to kill them, I guess. But we they weren't flagged, so they were fine. But I guess maybe they didn't know. I don't know because they kept running. And then, like, for the rest of the day, for, like, three hours, I just sat on that spot. And every time he got up, I put him back in the ground. Over and over and over again. Because he made me that mad. And that's the kind of thing that I actually think we will miss a little bit with scaling. There's there's a certain amount of that. But I don't know... Like, I don't know how high level stuff is going to scale. That's the other thing. We're told we're still going to be able to go back and do stuff and get, like, if we're level 50, we're going to be able to go back to, to raids from previous expansions and get loot. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how scaling is going to work yet. Um, I don't think it's going to work exactly like we've seen it so far because those the scaling we have right now has 
endpoints. Yes. Like right now, if you're um, if you're scaling in the game, it only scales up to like a certain level, like maybe level sixty, maybe lower. Uh, so I am interested in seeing where it goes, but I, I get what you're saying, and those stories are important, and I hope that they do keep that in mind when doing the the, the whole balancing of this. Is that they they keep in mind the stories people learn and remember and want to tell. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that because there's been. There's been those moments, right, where, like, you go back and you sort of re-experience things and you want to make sure that players can still have that. Again, we don't know how that the leveling experience is going to be with the new Squish and how everything else is going to go, how that's going to play out. But I'm with you. I am kind of hope that they, they consider that because sometimes it's nice to just go in and, and I'm not just saying solo for transmog, but, like, re-experience a classic raid or zone or something at a much higher level without having to be concerned with your own safety because that's when you start to notice all of the smaller things like how many times have we gone through old content to look for lore nuggets or hidden things because we didn't have to worry about oh i'm going to touch down here everything's going to aggro me and i'm going to die it's no i can go explore i can go see what's going on here i can look for these things. I can go look for these tablets or I can go look for these artifacts or whatever the case is and sort of get to experience the world a little bit more. And I really hope they consider that because I understand that they do put a lot of, of items into the world. They put a lot of thought into what each of these areas is. And they've continually said this as part of the reason why we don't get flying right away. And I believe that. And having it so that you can go back and not have to worry about it and go back and experience it at a higher level so you can just go dig through stuff. Players still do that. Players are still finding things from, like, previous expansion years ago. People are rediscovering things in, from, you know, Cataclysm redesigns that people forgot about. Like, I went through and was flying through the world, and I remember the Critter Plateau, and I haven't visited that thing in years and years and years and years, and it was this nice nostalgic moment. So, like... I want I want them to kind of keep that in mind because that's sort of the magic of the world, at least to me. Our next question comes from Sophie. Uh, whose bones are in the final room of Naltharian's Lair dungeon? Ebonhorn acts like they're Deathwing's bones, but if I remember correctly, his body should be in the Maelstrom, right? Well, it is, as far as I understand, his actual bones. Nothing... Yeah, he... Go ahead. No, I was agreeing with you. Uh, nothing says that he didn't have his bones ripped out in his wild mutation from the old god uh, corruption. And when we encounter him, you never see anything like his bones sticking out of his body. The metal plates are keeping his body together. But when we take those plates off and we fight him in that final encounter, he's a gelatinous, oozy tentacle monster. It doesn't he's not like this well-structured creature anymore. So during his transformation, I would not be surprised if his bones were ripped out from him or he removed them himself. Yeah, it's entirely possible that he shucked his entire body like a husk and grew an entirely new one. We don't we know very little of what was going on uh, in there with with Deathwing. And keep in mind, Deathwing had thousands of years of changes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and keep in mind too, at one point he was even banished from our reality. Uh, they, they used the, the power of the hammer of Kazgaroth to, to actually 
kick him out of our dimension for a while. So, yeah, there's lots of weirdness going on with Deathwing. Those could absolutely be his bones. But in terms of, like, wh- why did he leave them there? Keep in mind, too, that there's, like, one part where we go to a we, – where we see when they were, like, putting new plates on him um, in Cataclysm. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the dungeon. It's the one in, in Deep Home. Stone Court? Uh, may, yeah. But when the very last boss, you, you actually see – before you get to her, you see the original adamantium plates – the adamantine plates that they were using to hold them together, the ones that they pull off and replace with elementium plates. If you're, if you're watching the cataclysm cinematic, there's a whole thing of them replacing the plates. You see them putting them on. They're like, they're driving those things right into his body. Yep. Like, and, and he's like roaring and screaming when they're doing it. It's not pleasant. Um, he is like splitting open from the inside and, and raw like plasmic magma instead of like flesh and blood. So yeah, we don't really know a whole heck of a lot about exactly what he was like at the end, but it's, it's possible that, you know, his original bones got left behind. His entire original body might've got left behind. Like that, he might've, you know, he might've, that might've been his original corpse and he, you know, kept you know why was he so obsessed with having more children maybe he would like his essence would enter a new body and that's how he would and that's how he's going to come back well it's funny you mentioned that because i was actually kind of curious of having his bones beside uh, left behind would act almost like a phylacrity yeah that, that's a thought because we see we've seen the resurrection of his children through their bones their corpses if he leaves that behind, is that his way of entering back into this world, being a thing again? Well, he, that's exactly like he's the one that had Nefarian do that to Anixia. Mm-hmm. And then they were about to do it to both Anixia and Nefarian. The obviously the uh, I forget her name, but she's the boss in uh, Nihilotha. Inquisitor. Oh, yeah. Uh... She's she's the one that shows up and is going to use their bodies to, to like, effectively possibly bring them back so Zanesh. Zanesh. yeah Zanesh. so there deathwing might very well be have been intending to do that himself he may have actually done so himself you know who knows um but yeah okay that's given us some stuff to think about hasn't it a little bit but it's something i've also been kind of considering since not just ebonhorn but when you do the stuff with rathion to get your cloak uh when you're doing the, the charge scale and all that stuff there's some potential implications for that because the way that he reacts to like seeing the bones is of, of his siblings uh, is not, Oh yeah, they're just corpses. It's like, no, we got to go destroy them. We have to yep. destroy them because he knows what can happen. Well, if he doesn't know his dad's bones still exist, which is entirely possible because Ebonhorn does, we don't know if Ebonhorn told him like, would he be as freaked out? Would he be demanding that we go destroy his father's bones? Because they're still there. We haven't touched them. And we're sort of relying on the fact that High Mountain is, quote-unquote, secure from the old god influence, which we don't know for sure. Uh, so, yeah, that that's entirely possible that he there, there's more going on there than we could possibly know. Let's hope. I like Deathwing. Our next question comes from Ivy Snow. You guys mentioned it before, but if Blizz were to design a torn shaman class skin, 
what would you want to see from it? How about a Night Elf Warrior for Rossi? For me, I would like to see a Worgen Fury Warrior that uses fist weapons and just fights more like a savage monster. Eh, so, yeah. I'm sorry, that's not for my video. Uh, that's from Turtle Guy Steve. I'm, I apologize. Uh, so we'll start with you. What would you, what would you like to see for a Night Elf Warrior, like skin or a class special specialization? Oh, we're that's interesting. About... I mean, you'd probably want them to be some form of the Sentinels. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'd want them to get those big ring waves. Now, if ones like like Maya uses, those are uh, cool. she's a warden, and she's more warden's more roguelike. Sentinels are the actual army. So you're you're kind of basing it off Jared Shadow Song and or Shandra's Feather Moon. So glaives almost um, like yeah. flying glaives. Like I'm thinking, you want to go with like since warriors. Uh, their DPS mode is either Arms or Fury. You're gonna want to go with something more like the uh, the the glaives that you got uh, that were two-handed like scythe type weapons. They were pole arms, because you could dual wield those if you're a Fury, or you could wield a single one. Uh, the one you know, the one we saw like in oh bloody heck, a Trial of Crusader, I want to say. Uh, there were various ones. Horde didn't get them. Horde, but but you know, the Alliance got various. Night elfy pole arm type weapons. They were like the Archon's glaive and so forth. They were like, so you'd want to see like weapons like that. Um, you'd want to basically have the abilities more or less the same, just a few like more stuff like a Loon's Vengeance type names. Uh, because the Night Warrior is so involved, that's the other possible direction you might want to go to literally just be like the Night Elfling would be called the Night Warrior. And it would all its abilities would involve like a loon's vengeance, a loon's you know fury, stuff like that. Um, but I don't think there's. It's not like night elves have the kind of lore that like dwarves have with the mountain king. So you'd kind of have to make it up. Now you'd have to give them something like one of the things that I thought of is a mirror image was originally a blade master ability in Warcraft three. It was a it was a, something like a warrior type ability. Um, so I would actually imagine something cool and interesting like that, where like maybe you pop up when you hit, you know, instead of recklessness, just, you know, recklessness makes you angry. Uh, instead, it, like suddenly there's like shadowy versions of you that pop in and out attack while you attack sort of thing. That, mm -hmm. that kind of thing would be pretty cool. And it could, could work well when the night elf night elf kit, especially as the night elves move further and further into darkness. Uh, and instead of, for, for another example, in, instead of the ability that, oh, buddy, heck, I even have this ability, Avatar. Instead of Avatar making you big and stone-like, it could infuse you with, like, you know, the, 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 uh, eclipse, the eclipse version of Loon's power. So instead of growing, you know, you grow up and you look like a big rock, you suddenly you turn into, like, a Shadow Priest-style negative of yourself. Stuff like that would be kind of neat. Um, but, I, you know, I don't... There's nothing tremendously established for that aside from, you know, I think the the glaive idea would, would be good to, to work in. Um, so actually, the, the thing I've been thinking about more than that, though, is imagine if they brought in a worgen skin that was the Night Elf worgen. Ooh, yeah, that'd be cool. The, the original ones, the ones that have been sleeping under that tree this whole time. And instead of, like, your humanoid form isn't a Night Elf at all, either, either you don't have a humanoid form... You just stay worgen all the time with like the extended, like the longer ears and the longer limbs, or they switch back and they have a night elf looking form, because at this point, uh, Malfurion's desperate enough to let that happen. 
and imagine if they they're the ones they don't they equip weapons but they don't use them in their combat animation like they get the stats and it, your damage is based on the weapons you have but you don't see them getting used they just rend things with their claws so they're kind of like a monk like a lot of monks have like a sword or on their back or whatever they still do a lot of punching the the night elven worgen they they basically have weapons equipped whatever their class is but if they ever are in melee doing melee attacks they don't you know you don't see it and if there's if they're spellcasters their spellcasting should look a lot more like they're slashing and tearing at the air like rather than you know the gentle you know standing on one foot thing that night elves do like you know you've seen night elf casters oh, yeah. Yep. Instead of that, they they're like just they're going nuts on the air and fireballs are like shooting out of like rips they're making in the in the magical area around them. So, but that that would be cool, I think. What about what about you for the Torin thing? I have some ideas myself, but I'm interested in what you guys say. So for me, for shaman, there are a couple things that I've actually been thinking about over the years. Three in particular. Uh, one is particular to uh, Torin, which is I would like to see more sun-based effects, and. Because the the sun, because Anji is so central to Torn beliefs, even with shamanism, I would like to see that worked in and flavor something. So, let's say an elemental shaman skin that instead of throwing lightning bolts, throws you know beams of the sun. Uh, instead of throwing a lava bolt, it's more bright, more like flashes of light or something along those lines. Something that incorporates that more into their kit instead of like you know thunder wave. It's you know, a area of effect explosion of almost like a, a sunspot. I would like to see that. I think something like that would be cool because it calls back to a part of Torn culture that we have not really explored as a player character. That's number one. Number two, I'd like to see something for enhancement that calls more to the elements. And this is a throwback to classic WoW in what originally was supposed to be enhancement. Now, enhancement was supposed to be like a tanking spec to be on par with uh, paladins. Didn't exactly work like that. But back in the day, we used to have hybrid builds that allowed us to do some really ridiculous things. So you could have an enhancement shaman that was flavored with elemental or something else to have sort of more the elements tied into it. I'd like to see something like that happen where maybe instead of using weapons like we have, we kind of expand upon the Doomhammer uh, Legion artifact where like one of them was made out of elemental energy. Maybe all of your weapons convert to elemental energy. Maybe you're doing stuff with like actual lashes made of lava instead of, you know, just some weird thing that has like a couple second burst animation. I'd like to see a skin like that. The third thing is for healing. And this is another aspect of shamanism that I think has not really been explored from a player standpoint. NPCs, sure. Ancestors. We call upon ancestors for as a shaman for guidance, for protection, for advice. A restoration shaman, I think, should have something that maybe calls upon the ancestors. Now, way back, we did have a talent that let us actually do that. There was the, the talent that allows you to have more health now when you heal somebody, like you increase their health by 10%, used to actually summon a spirit in an animation. And it was one of the coolest things. And then it went away. I'd like to see that embraced a little bit more. Maybe instead of like Earth Shield, it's 
you know, a spirit with a shield shows up and sort of protects the target for X amount of time. Or if it's extra healing, like we come back to that animation where that ancestor is there doing a little bit of healing or or mending their spirit. I'd like to see that integrated. Those are the things that I want to see just because they call they call upon sort of these cultures and things that we've known have existed forever for shaman that is so like integral to their lore to their their class to their history but we don't do anything with them so that's those are my my ideas you just immediately made me think of a completely different thing for night elf warriors go for where it all all the abilities are themed around the ancients like that would be so great. You, you have uh there's, there's like an instead of being a protection warrior, you're literally like a. I want, I can't remember his name. Uh, the, the turtle one. Oh, you remember him? Uh, why can't I think of his name now? Ah, uh, the one that. Yeah, but we, we know what I'm talking about. Like you'd have like that'd be the you'd be you take on aspect of the turtle. You'd be like a. You'd literally be a turtle warrior, and all your stuff would be themed around the turtle shell. Tortola. Uh, tor- yeah, Tortola. So you'd basically be like. You'd have shield slam would be like, you know, would be like, you know, shell bash, um, you know, shield block would be like shell, you know, shell harden, stuff like that. It's all based around the turtle and the shell and all that stuff. Uh, Fury Warriors would be based around Goldrin, mm-hmm. be like, you know, r- you know, Rage of Goldrin. And the Arms Warrior would be, um, I don't know, really know. I mean, I, I mean, I think maybe Ursoc. That would be cool. Ursoc. Yeah. And like you know, like instead of Avatar turning you into a big rock person, it turns you into a giant bear. Like the 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 wear bear model, just while it's up, it gives you the wear bear model, and then when it wears off, just you know, you're back to being you, and so forth. Like you know, the same thing. Like you use recklessness as a fury warrior, and you you get like you'd wolf out, you'd turn into like a kind of wargany looking thing, and. Uh, so forth and you could basically have all the abilities basically be based on the various aspects so that's that's one possibility because you know they, they haven't done a lot with those guys the the i'm calling them aspects that's not the right word the uh ancients. the ancients you know the various ancients you can and you could totally like that could extend out to other groups like your Ooh. your your pandaren warriors could you know the various um august celestials they could draw on you know uh, what? you could you could have that for like you know, um, other people like trolls could have loa. It's like the various loa they could use. It's interesting you bring that up because one of the things we were talking about recently is how the night elves have returned to Hygel. What are a bunch of these ancient spirits? They're the guardians of Hygel, Goldrin, Tortola, Aviana, Asenia. Like they're they're ancients. They're right there. That would be a really cool thing where part of like the night elves figuring out what their next move was, was communing with the ancients in a way to earn their gifts or, or take on their aspects further. Sort of like how Worgen, you know, were created with trying to that aspect of, of Goldrin. Yeah. Or even like, if you look at the, uh, the, 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 um, Zoldrak situation with the Loa, instead of like trying to kill them and steal their power, you're, you know, making, yeah, you're making pacts and and gaining it. You like have to represent them in the world, but in return they they empower you to like defend your people more effectively and their people too, because you know there's various creatures on Hygel that they want to keep safe. Which so is... yeah, you could you could there's ways you could do it, and you and could do it with other like I said like you know we talked about the 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 trolls the trolls could do mm-hmm. it with the Loa, 
you could have a Tauren version. Um, the Tauren actually have their own spirits that they revere, like Mazanaki and all that. You could totally see like the Tauren making deals with them, things like that. And we can do it with everybody, but and we have a system in place coming in in uh, Shadowlands that is literally exactly that. It's making a pact, making a deal with a. Uh, creature more powerful or an entity more powerful than you and earning some of their favor by representing them. This is a really cool way that maybe they could give some of that flavor to these classes and just by changing we, were, we, we talked about this before with changing spell effects or giving it a little bit of a skin. Yes, I know it would be a, a ton of work but imagine, I mean, I know that there are tons of players that would absolutely adore something like that where it's not just transmog for personalization but the ability to really feel like your character, that that level of immersion would be absolutely insane. Man, that's a that was a good question. Thanks. Thanks, Turtle Guy. Uh, we're going to do one more question, I think, because I want to get to Ivy Snows because I don't want to don't want Ivy to think we skipped. Uh, I recently completed the Warlords of Draenor Shadowmoon Valley quest lines uh, on my Lightforge Draenei. Did I accidentally create the timeline loop where my actions inspired Yarl to create the Lightbound? Uh, so it's not serious, but fun to think about. Uh, this is one that I'm going to toss more your way because I don't have a Lightforge Draenei that I really did anything with. Okay. Um, your Lightforge Draenei, I mean, you know, you, you know what you're doing when you go there. It's effectively, you know, it's sort of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's some content. Don't think too hard about it sort of moment. Uh, but I will say this. I don't think you inspired Yorel to do anything because I think what ends up happening is um, their version of, oh, bloody heck, Zira. Thank you. I, I could not remember the name. My brain was just not coughing it up. The, the other version of Zira showed up, essentially, and was like, you know, you must all serve the light. And, you know, Yorel was not Velen for all that Velen has his moments of, of doing dumb things. Velen has 25,000 years of experience on how to deal with the Drana, the, the, the Naru, how to tell them kindly, but firmly, uh, no, we're not doing that. Um, Yorel didn't have it. These Yorel saw a being of pure light show up as far as she could tell and say, you know, he, you know we're here to help. And she went for it. And it, for all we know, she was right too, because we're only taking the uh, Maghar's word for it as to what's going on. And, and let's face it, the Maghar are the children of people who thought it'd be a great idea to enslave our neighbors for absolutely no reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like, at least in the original Outland, the original Draenor, the orcs enslaved and murdered their neighbors because of a demonic blood thing. Like, they were already killing them before they drank the demon blood. And that probably was the case in Draenor as well, on alternate Draenor. But the actual murder and slaughter thing, that was purely because of the demon blood. But on this Draenor, like, you know, Grom Hellscream went to Ner'zhul and said, I want you to trammel with powers that you don't understand and which could destroy us all just for military advantage. You know, or I'll wipe your people out. And so we ended up with the whole Dark Star thing. That's why Velen died in the first place. Mm -hmm. If I were Yorel, I sure Grom felt bad at the end there. Uh, if I were Yorel, I wouldn't have been too quick to trust him. Yeah, no, you there's know? no way. And so, we again, we only have the Maghar's word for what happened next. 
we don't know what was going on in that that world. We don't have an unbiased source. We've got the the Makar saying, you know, they're crazy. They want to convert us all. They want to f- enslave us and force us to worship their way. We don't know what things looked like from the other perspective. You you get a little bit of it. There's some like there's some arguing back and forth. It's not Yorel herself, but one of her exarchs is even saying, you know, we 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 tried to fix this world. We tried to give you peace. You didn't even want it. You threw it back in our faces. So again, it's I'm not saying the Maghar are lying. I'm saying that what what looked like slavery to them might have looked very different to Yorel and her people. I don't think your character is the reason that that happened. I think it's very much that the Naru showed up. And it's because we've seen what Zara was like on our world. We've seen what Zara was willing to do to Illidan. The the Naru, there's a there's this thing where people often mistake, you know, lawful good for like lawful stupid or what have you. They always, oh, he's a paladin, so he has to be nice. It's like there's nothing nice about that. You know, it's hard. There's there's a a ruthlessness to it. There's they, there's a reason we call them zealots. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the the willingness to stake everything on a moral precept and rather than, you know, make a compromise. This is all about not compromising. And Yorel had been through a ton by the time, you know, Warlords ends. Her sister died in front of her. Her, you know, her mentor died in front of her. You know, she went and, and she allied with the, the Horde to fight in Italador and, you know, somebody she had just met but who it was like you know effectively her mentor into being a paladin died in front of her you know Murad gave his life for her uh i will in fact always be on on board as saying that that actually the change they made in warlords to make it so Murad and, and Yorel didn't know each other that there was no previous relationship kind of weakens his sacrifice a bit i agree because he's just dying for nothing um but I mean, he's dying because, you know, he wanted to make right what went wrong in his own life. But it kind of does weaken that moment a little bit. But regardless, at the point where, where we're at the end of Warlords of Draenor, Yorel has sacrificed so much. The idea that she become, you know, even if, if we accept the, the, the view we're getting, it's not out of bounds that she would make those decisions. Because what is she, like, at this point, her people are her entire emotional life. She doesn't have a family. She doesn't have the people that she was expecting to show her what to do. And she becomes an exarch when she's still grieving. The, the Drenner are like, yeah, that's great that, you know, you lost everybody, but uh, we need new, another exarch. So you're going to have to step up and be one, even though you just started being a paladin like this week. So, yeah, it's not surprising that when, when the Naru showed up and like, oh, yeah, we'll totally tell you what to do, that she went for it. You know, would, you know, would Velen have gone for it? No, but he had 25,000 years of telling them, you know, that's very nice and we certainly will take your help, but um, we're going to make our own decisions, thanks, just like we always have, like the way Adal understood our deal. You know, I don't, I'm not taking orders from you. Uh, I'm certainly listening to you, but I can imagine Yorel not being in that position for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. I don't, I definitely, it's not your character's fault. I just, I really feel the need to say that. Uh, it's not your character's fault. It, any more than it's my character's fault. My, my, <laughs> my non-Lightforged I didn't, you know, certainly, I do think about that though. And I don't know if you ever did, because I don't know if you played much Alliance. But it's one of the things I thought about a lot was, what does my Draenei tell them? 
Like when they see him, they're like, Hey, who are you? Where are you from? I mean, you're obviously one of us. So what's the deal? And you're like, um, let's just kind of skate on that for a bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah. Oh, Hey, imagine it. Like, and I always wonder about like, did, did I meet, like, was the alternate version of me there or had it died at some point? Had, had my other self died? Like, cause you know, we know some people have copies. Yep. Garage. There's another, you know, Garage wasn't ever born there, but there's another Nerzul. There's another Grom. So, like, is there another me? And what happened to me? You know, Rastakhan, like, not Rastakhan, Restalon. There's an alternate Restalon there. So, yeah, always... did, did my, did my I... character die, like, running from the Legion? Or, like, imagine I run into someone's like, they're like, but you, but you're dead. Oh, yeah, funny thing about that. No, in my world, you're the one who got turned into a road. But I lived. Yeah, that's that's. I know that this is complicated, but you know what I'm saying. That's something I thought about a lot. I mean, I've thought about that a lot too, especially because like that was one of the things about warlords that I was always curious about is like we're going to the orc homeland. There's lots of orcs that I'm I'm kind of cool with. Are we going to run into copies of them, and and what's going to happen there? And yeah, and we had alternate Doomhammer who didn't seem to act like Doomhammer at all. Yup, that that was weird. But yeah, so I hope that answers the question uh, and gives you some things to think about. So speaking of thinking about, I will pose the final question and then do our outro. So the final question here, going back to exploration of other lands or other continents, if Blizzard were to create something completely new that existed on Azeroth, whether it was a new nation, continent, culture, people, whatever... What would you like to see? What would you like explored more? Oh, geez. Um, first off, I don't want it to just be more of the same kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as much as I like, you know, all the Titan Forge and stuff, I'd almost rather it be completely divorced from everything we've seen at Azeroth so far, um, which is, you know, kind of a tall order. Uh, you don't want it to be too different because you don't want it to feel alien. Uh, another possibility, though, like I mentioned earlier, my idea of like you get to a place and it's like, yeah, a bunch of dwarves that hate mining and they live, they all live on boats. I really like, like that idea. Imagine if you took like that kind of concept, like you've got these techno superior, technologically superior elves who don't care at all about magic, have never studied it. Like maybe they were like a splinter group that like broke off way early, like before Ashara ever rose to power, and they were like, nah. This this whole thing we're doing isn't for us. So they all like got on they got on like zeppelins or something and flew away, and got went to another continent. And when they got there, maybe they were like maybe it was them and some trolls who were like we don't want to fight this war. Like, you know our people are our, our two peoples have their own issues. Why don't we just like get out of here? And they they've settled their own place and they've got like this weird blended troll elf culture where it's like. They have like you know something akin to like I don't know like you know huge huge temples to like you know science and technology that it's all Azerothian technology it's not Titan derived it's not so it's not it's super advanced if it might actually be all steam powered and like none of it's really like kites and huge windmills and mills and stuff like that that might be kind of neat um, some some other stuff like you know, obviously there's 
races that you know come from other worlds so they wouldn't be there but you know we've seen like multiple different versions of Torin, and apparently all versions of Torin derive originally from the yongal and like what if they were like the yongal themselves were the were subject of a breeding program by the mogu like the mogu were trying to make more aggressive yongal hmm. so there might be like this imagine this group of like highland cattle like t they're smaller and shaggier and not particularly aggressive at all like you know ancestors like or like offshoot of the tauren who are like totally living on this this same weird place and they just don't have much to do with anybody else and stuff like that stuff where it's if it's gonna look like azeroth it should look different like it should if you see it it shouldn't look just like oh it's the same thing just colored differently it should look really different but it should still you probably want to keep some element of Warcraft to it. You don't want it to all be like, look, look, snake people and, and goat people and bat people. You kind of want to like have it be the, the races we recognize to a degree, the ones yeah. that are native to Azeroth. Another cool thing, though, would be imagine if there's another chunk of Outland out there. Because like, the world Outland did explode and there are yeah, the whole world chunks blew up. What if there's like a like a floating continent out there, like the one that was on the south, the one we didn't get to see when we went to Warlords of Draenor? There's like an entire continent of like ogre people, and like the ogre empire survived to some degree, and they have the various like the different version of the Ar the, the I want to say the Arakoa. Um, is that, is that how we say them in WoW? Arakoa, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Arakoa, and like you know, the Saberon have a presence there because the Saberon seem to get along okay with the ogre folks. And stuff like that. That'd be cool, too. But now I'm going to stop talking because I could do this all week and you have to talk. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I was I keep going back to is, is more of that technological society thing. I, it, it's always been fascinating to me. One of my favorite genres is, is cyberpunk Shadowrun type styles things. Um, but I think that you could do something similar in almost this medieval fashion where, like you said, it's technology that rules everything. There are no... There are no churches to the light. There are no, you know, worshiping of the pantheons or anything like that, that everything becomes science and math and creation of like technological advancements. And you can do that with existing races that may have been displaced or like you said, something that was like a breeding program where, you know, you have weird offshoots or proto versions of different races that kind of give it that tie to the Azerothian feel. But I always kind of wondered what a world or what a section of Azeroth would look like that had completely rejected magic, completely rejected religion in any capacity and what that would be. Because everywhere you go in the, in Azeroth anywhere, there's some form of magic. There's some form of, you know, religion in any capacity it's such a big part of it that I would love to see the exact opposite of that because I think the interaction between a society that is completely eschewed from those those values and a society that is built upon those, like those colliding creates interesting conflicts or interesting story evolutions that could potentially happen. It's sort of taking the idea of Mechagon and cranking it to 11. And that's kind of like, I would like to see something like that explore, like huge, massive cities, a sprawling continent that is just filled like with like an urban landscape, not, you know, farms and wildlands and things like that. But like literally a concrete jungle would be cool to me. And 
like we're going to get a glimpse of stuff that are similar to that, I think, a little bit in Shadowlands, but I'd like to see something like that on Azeroth. Okay, I'm going to also say, though, if we do do that, we should go the other way with some other cultures. Oh, absolutely. Like the dwarves and the gnomes, should, we should totally get the, 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 the gnomish culture that's all about religion and the you know dwarvish culture where they're like, uh, yeah, technology is fine, I guess, but you know, we like our boats and we totally pray to the sea gods. That's good enough for us. That's why my accent keeps wandering between different things. I sound like a <laughs> Russian side sometimes. They have submarines. Yeah, they have submarines. It's in. Hey, submarines were a thing in Warcraft. Just throwing it hunt, out there. Hunt for Red October. There we go. But yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see things like that because I think that would create interesting scenarios. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on the podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, I will throw it out there. Please continue to send your questions in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Make sure you specify where you want those questions to be answered asked whether it's lore watch or uh the blizzard watch podcast feel free to dump them into our discord channel for patrons where we have a a questions for the queue and podcast section and if you don't have a question but you have a topic that you would like us to explore more or tinfoil hat a little bit feel free to send that over too we're more than happy to create a themed episode in which we explore some really weird wacky stuff but thank you very much and we will see you guys next week 